Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series. We are, we've just completed Galatians, and we are on to Ephesians. Now, I will tell you, um, early childhood Sunday school for me, called Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, they were called the General Electric Power Company. Now, I don't know where that came from. I don't know why the teacher taught us that, but I got taught that somewhere. So I learned very quickly that Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians were all together. Um, Now, the other little tidbit that I'm going to give you from Sunday school along the years is that all the T's are together. So when you will find one T, you found them all. So if you're looking for Titus, look for any of the T's. And you've got one, you've got them all. (laughs) So hopefully that's a little bit helpful. I don't know that the writer or the organizers of the New Testament is, you know, intended that on purpose. They kind of uh, grouped by books, the type of book that things were more than probably anything else. But Um, Okay, so we are going to pick up in the book of Ephesians, and of course I like to do our who, what, where, when, why, um, and our outline and key verse. Kind of gives us some consistency, but it's also a great thing to write in the opening section of your Bible. Um, You know, there's a page that usually has the title of the book. You know, there might be some extra space on that page or one beside it or something, depending on how your Bible's set up. This is a great thing to go right to that part and write this in. So for the book of Ephesians, we are fairly confident and like, hmm, go ahead and just say we're very confident that it's Paul who wrote it. Uh, what is it? It is a letter to the church in Ephesus specifically. Uh, where was it written? Um, this one would have been written in prison in Rome. And so Paul would have actually been in prison. He wasn't on house arrest at this point. The when, this would have been written in about 60 to 62 AD. Uh, Why was this book written? It was written to show believers what it means to be a follower of Christ and to encourage them in their spiritual walk. Now, we've talked before about the setup of the letters, Paul's letters specifically. Um, he has some things in common, and usually he uses the first part of the book for, uh, you know, just kind of theology, um, addressing things in their theology, or challenging the audience with some things, Um, but basically he does business, okay? He takes care of what he needs to take care of, and then the second part of the book is how to walk out the theology that he's given in the first part. So the first half of the book is theology. The second part is practicality, how to live and walk out the theology piece that he's just given you. Um, And Ephesians is very much set up that way. Outline of the book of Ephesians is chapters one through three are the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Um, Chapters four through six are the Christian life. Um, Key verse Uh, The one that they pick is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and it says, For grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Um, And if you have listened to Galatians, you will understand that this is very much a theme for Paul, that we are justified by grace and that we are under grace. We are no longer under law. We've been rescued, uh, set free from the law. Uh, and we are free under grace. So um, that would be our outline. All right, so of course we can't 
talk about a letter without talking about what's going on and where, you know, the town that it's written to and the group of believers that would have been receiving this. Because I can't take a letter written to a specific person and apply it to just anybody. And so, you know, I think it's very important to realize who this is from. And this is too. So in order to figure out what was happening in Ephesus and the history of the gospel coming to Ephesus, we go where? Anybody? (laughs) Uh, Of course, we go to the book of Acts because it's the history book of the New Testament. And so if you turn over, uh, if you want to know how the gospel first comes to Ephesus, you need to go to Acts 18.18. And this would be another really good thing to put in that opening page, uh, title page for your Bible for the book of Ephesians. Uh, right at the top, put history and put Acts 18, 18. Uh, and then if you wanted to add another part, Acts 19 is an account of Paul's second visit on his third ministry um, journey, his second visit to Ephesus. Um, and so, you know, it's it's interesting because he actually spends close to two um, two years plus in Ephesus discipling believers. Um, and so God really calls him to spend some significant portion of time discipling believers in Ephesus. Um, now, by the time the book is written um, to the Ephesian church, um, actually what has happened is that the port in Ephesus has completely filled with silt. Um, and so lo- so it no longer is the port city that it had been. Um, and so in some ways, that part of it is in the past. But what has flourished since is um, temple worship. And so it, in some ways, has almost become a mecca for some of the foreign gods of that time. Now, we've talked before about how the Greeks and the Romans loved their pantheon of gods um, and how basically the Romans had pillaged from the Greek all of these gods and goddesses and renamed them, but basically they were kind of the same. Um, and so they they enjoyed the idea of selfish uh, <laughs> selfish deities that would have interpersonal Uh, interactions between the gods and people and all this kind of thing. Anyway, um, and so it was something that very much was instilled in all of them. Well, Ephesus was the fourth largest city, actually, in the Roman Empire. So I I need you to think of that. Like, the Roman Empire was larger. Like, think about just, okay, the fourth largest city in America. Okay, as kind of a point of reference. Like, this was one of the four big deals, city-wise, for the Roman Empire. Um, And it was the home of the temple of Artemis, which is what the Greeks would call it. And it was the the god Diana for the Romans. But she is, out of all of the gods and goddesses, she would have been the one that was probably worshipped the most consistently. Although one of the things that was pretty common in that day is that you picked the gods you wanted to worship. And you would have literally, um, you would have literally like your little platter of gods that you would worship and ascribe to and you you could do pick and choose whatever you wanted and so it very much was a custom your own type of spiritual pantheistic spirituality but what had happened at this point is that most of the other trades had kind of um, fallen off because, like I said, the port had filled with silt or whatever, and it was no longer usable. But what it still was 
a path crosser, an intersection, if you will, of trade routes. And so you still had um, large amounts of people coming in and through tourists, pilgrims, um, especially the ones associated with the trade of Artemis and Diana. And so what you had in town were a lot of very wealthy, wealthy Ephesians that had been made wealthy by the worship of Artemis. Um, and so, you know, you had everything from magic scrolls to uh, silver making, little idols and statues and all of that kind of stuff um, that really formed the financial fabric of the society of this town, okay? And so if you were in Ephesus, you either owned statues of Artemis or you sold and made statues of Artemis. Um, And so you have to understand just how pivotal this is to really understand what happens here in Acts, especially as the gospel comes to town. Uh, Let's see here. So you basically, um, I'm going to read a little bit from, uh, I've got a book resource that's really awesome. It's the inductive Bible study from Precepts, but they add in all kinds of little notes about the books as kind of a preamble to the book. And so I'm going to read just a little bit from one of those. Silversmiths made their living selling images of this goddess, goddess Artemis and her temple. Innkeepers and restaurant owners grew rich from the large influx of worshipers who traveled great distances to see the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. So not only is this one of the top four cities, but they had one of the seven wonders of the world in their city. And so the temple treasury served as a bank, lending large sums of money to many, including kings. Since Artemis was the patroness of sex, prostitutes sold their bodies without condemnation in the two-story brothel on Marble Road. Um, Although Artemis was the main attraction... Although Artemis was the main attraction, all sorts of magic and sorcery were conjured up in Ephesus. Okay, so that known, I want to kind of pull out some things here. Um, We're going to go to 1818. Okay, I'm going to point out a couple of things in 1818 before I actually read, picking up at verse 18. But if you look at the beginning, Paul's at Corinth. Well, right before the book of Galatians, we covered First and Second Corinthians, which is all about the city of Corinth. And one of the things in those episodes that we talked about is um, a proconsul who was named Gallio. Um, and the one thing about archaeology, you got to love archaeology, is in the city of Delphi, which is really close to Corinth, they found an inscription in one of the temples about Gallio being proconsul in 52 AD. And so we have a actual archaeology, archaeological evidence that tells us the exact year that Acts 18 takes place. And so what you need to understand is when we have actual archaeological evidence that pinpoints exactly a year, we we put a pin in it, and we go backwards and forwards on our timeline to place events. And so it's one of those things that helps us to know if Paul was here at this time, well, this guy we know was proconsul, then we know that he's in this place at this time. So everything that happened before that had to have been before this point in time. Um, and so what we know is that he was proconsul of this region um, from... June until July for a year um, in 50, I think it was 51 to 52 AD. 
Okay. And so that is really an anchor for the book of Acts and for Paul's life and the missionary journeys. Okay. And so what we're picking up on here is talks about Gallio. And so basically they are... uh, Everything goes south in Corinth. He's been in Corinth for 18 months. And during those 18 months, the Oconian Games have been in town, which would have been second to the Olympic Games. um, And they would have been held every other year. Now, remember, Paul was a tent maker. So there were tent cities to handle the influx of visitors that came with those games. And so that's where Asilla and... um, Sorry, Priscilla and Aquila would have been tent makers in town. And so Paul literally um, basically like lives with them in community, builds like a small mini family. Um, And so I want to kind of point out, uh, let's just start in 12. And while Gallio was proconsul of Acacia, uh, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Now, if you listen to those episodes, we talked about the Bema seat that was in Corinth. That is exactly what's going on here. We're at that Bema seat in Corinth for this, saying this man persu- persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names in your own law, look at it after yourself. I am unwilling to be the judge in these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Siathenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio, Gallio, was not concerned with any of these things. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. With him were Priscilla and Aquila. In, um, and I'm not sure how to say this one, Centuria, he had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow. Now in verse 19, they came to Ephesus. Okay, this is the gospel coming into Ephesus. Acts 18, 19. He left them there. Now he entered the synagogue, which was his habit, and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a little longer, he did not consent. But taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you again if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. He landed in Caesarea and went up and greeted the church in Antioch, and then went down to Antioch. Okay, so I want you to hold on that he went into town and then he bounces out of town to go and meet up with the church in Antioch. Why is that important? We talked about this with Galatia. The main church in that region at this point was in Antioch. It was the sending church for Paul and Barnabas on that journey. Um, now, in the first journey, John Mark had had abandoned them halfway through. And so he was not, he was not willing to take Um, John Mark on another missionary journey and that caused him to split off from Barnabas and Barnabas did his thing and Paul would do something different uh, from that point on Uh, but let's pick up in um, let's see all right so we're going to pick up in Acts 18 24 now a Jew named Apollos an Alexandrian by birth an eloquent man came to Ephesus now, whenever you see eloquent man, you need to think about what we talked about with Corinth. In Corinth, they were very used to people who were eloquent, trained in the Greek rhetoric style, that would get up and just talk. 
okay? And you would you would financially support and become a patron of the speaker that you like the best. And so they were very used to having oration, okay? And this guy we know is very eloquent. And I think it's important to kind of realize that he might have potentially be one of those people that would have got up and did a lot of speaking. So he comes to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. So this would have been Old Testament scriptures at this point. So he's very learned um, in Old Testament. Verse 25 says, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. The, um, so in other words, he was he he had the message right all the way up to John the Baptist, okay, and the baptism of John. Uh, and so remember that John's baptism is only a baptism of repentance. It's not full salvation, okay? It was basically just getting your life back in line with the old covenant and preparing your hearts for the kingdom that was to come. Okay, so in 26, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across Acacia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Um, And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, how is it then that you were baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. They were in all about 12 men. Now, I want you to understand and put right beside here, over to the side, that this right here is the beginning of the church at Ephesus. It starts with 12 believers who hear Apollos' message, but then with Paul, they hear the rest of the story. Um, And so verse 8 picks up, he entered the synagogue and continued speaking boldly for about three months reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But but when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, which is those followers of Jesus, before the people, he withdrew from them, took away the disciples, and reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now, this is where I'm going to tell you guys, you need to get online and find some videos of Ephesus. Um, here's the cool thing about Ephesus. Ephesus is actually one of the best preserved remains of um, cities that we have from this time period. Um, and so as far as biblical history goes, it is the best preserved location. Um, and what I mean by that is you can literally get online and see the fronts of some of these buildings, like the library and some of the other places around town. 
Um, and so it's quite magical to be able to see it because you can see the lay of the land. You can see the amphitheater that will be talked about. You can see the marketplace where they would have sold all of these things about Diana and Artemis. And so you can actually see tangible evidence of some of these structures and things, which is really cool. The school of Tyrannus would have been uh, a place where they would have done that Hellenistic thought. They would have taught it. Um, they would have gathered there to talk about philosophy and life and principles and teaching. And so it would have been very natural since the synagogue was no longer an option for him to go. And it was like the equivalent for the Gentiles as a synagogue would have been for the Jews. Um, and so literally he just switches his allegiance. He went first to the Jews. He hung out with them for about three months to Doing it, and when they turn bitter and reject, he switches over and he basically walks to the nearest college, sits down, and starts teaching like a professor. Um, and so, you know, to put it in modern language, that's kind of what he did. He walked down the street and across the road, um, and it would have been that close if you look now. I, I have read that there would have been close to probably 2 million people living in and around Ephesus at the time. And so I want you to just imagine that this is huge. Okay, so when I say they would have filled an amphitheater, I want you to understand there legitimately was enough people to fill a huge amphitheater. Um, okay, so basically he sits in the school of Tyrannus daily. Verse 10 of 19, chapter 19 says, This took place for two years, so that all who lived in the entire region of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, so, I mean, just get your, get your mind around that. Uh, add in the fascination that they have of listening to orators, you know, people that are talking and speaking. Um, and then, you know, add in that this is a hub, this is a trade route, this is basically a stop on the mail route, so to speak, uh, throughout this region. And so there's tons of people coming in and through, visitors, guests, tourists, people on spiritual Mecca journeys, um, that kind of an idea. So verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons that were carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. So hankies were healing and casting out demons or it was God, but you get the point. Um, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place and attempted to name over those who had evil spirits, the name of the Lord in the name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit resided leapt on them, subdued them all, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And so this became known to everybody, both Jew and Greek, who lived in Ephesus, and a great fear fell on everybody, and the name of the Lord was being magnified. Many of those who had believed kept coming and confessing and disclosing what they had done in their practices. Um, many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. They counted up the price of them and found 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, I, got, I have to put that in, in our currency so that you get the amount of this. Okay, so basically... People are coming left and right, turning their lives over to Christ, and they bring all of their 
um, accessories of witchcraft, basically. Um, and so if you figure out what 50,000 pieces of silver is and the equivalent of how many uh, denarii is in a piece of silver, you can actually do the math here. So if we would say that the average person probably makes 80 to to $100 a day as a wage, um, and you can say that that's equal to what the value of a denarius in their day, because to work a whole day, most common people would be paid one denarius a day. Um, and so if you do the math with that, this basically comes up to $4 million worth of merchandise. Okay, $4 million worth in that day and age. So extrapolate that out. <laughs> okay, these are people burning $4 million worth of what is being sold in Ephesus. And then they will never buy again because they turn their lives over to the living God and they stop any interactions with the witchcraft and the the temple worship and prostitution and, and the whole purchasing of idols and so on and so forth. Imagine the impact that that has on the financial structure of Ephesus, okay? And so basically, I mean, look at how the gospel is just exploding. In two years' time, everyone has heard in the entire region, not just in Ephesus, but because everybody's transient, the entire region has heard about the gospel, okay? Okay, so... I want you to kind of understand just how much this might have upset the the financial people in town, you know, the business owners, the silversmiths, the, you know, and sure enough, what I want you to understand is that if you read the rest of chapter 19, that's exactly what you're going to find. And so I almost kind of want to go, you know what, for the rest of the story, you're going to have to open up to Acts 19 and you're going to have to pick up in verse 21 and read for yourself. Now, I will cover this in next week's podcast and we'll pick up and go, but I'm going to leave you with just a teaser because the goal of all of these is to inspire enough curiosity that you find yourself wanting to be in the word of God because that's my heart. My heart is to get the church back in the word of God as our foundation and and not to be doing all of these other places but to really fall in love with God's word and what it says so Acts 19 you're in charge of the rest of the story and I will pick up next week and uh, go from there and we'll see exactly how the community within Ephesus reacts to the gospel and to all of these people switching from worshiping other deities to the one true and living God. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you're enjoying Ephesians. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to OpenTheWordPodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. 
then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed. <laughs>